Recording live from the Hoban Law Group here in Denver, Colorado, I'm your host, Eric Singular. Welcome to the Hoban Minute. Today, Bob and I are talking about the pivotal importance of cannabis insurance. We are joined by a great subject matter expert on this topic, Mr. Jay Verdi, the Chief Sales Officer of Hub International. Jay, thank you for being here with us this afternoon. Great. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, insurance is foundational to all businesses. Of course, here in the cannabis space, that is no exception. And so while we're in this interesting spot here in the United States uh, where cannabis is not federally legal, I want to ask you, how are cannabis businesses impacted when they're trying to attain insurance and risk services? That's a great question. You know, it's definitely very difficult, the cannabis industry being federally illegal at the moment in the U.S. Therefore, there was a lot of insurance language out there that excluded anything that was a controlled substance or something that was a narcotic, which in today's world is still very much true as far as cannabis right now. And there are many states have had medicinal marijuana programs uh, implemented and also adult use recreation. So, There is a little bit of a difference between decriminalization and legalization. But for the insurance industry, to answer your question, uh, it is a little bit difficult because the traditional insurance capacity providers are very wary to provide capacity in something that is deemed federally illegal. The capacity is very scarce. And where some of the cannabis operators are able to obtain insurance is partnering with firms like us, as far as Hub International goes, and really, really getting some of their much-needed insurance requirements adhered to by specialty insurance markets. So we would have to go to ENS, non-admitted paper, and specialty MGA. Well, that's a a great opportunity to kind of highlight uh, both the work that you do now with Hub International, but particularly because you are based in Canada, you got to see federal legalization occur with Trudeau's legalization of marijuana in Canada. So Take us back to those early days and uh, give us a sense of your background in the insurance space for cannabis businesses. What, how can we leverage, let's say, the success that you had in Canada uh, as we set the table for U.S. federal legalization? Yeah, it's a very great question. And that's why I'm on, on in the role I am in today, right? I do sit in Toronto, Canada, where uh, cannabis is federally legal. Uh, to consume and and, and ingest. And, you know, in in the very early days, the writing was kind of on the wall, right? Um, You know, the legality of it was very relaxed. Uh, We've had a medicinal marijuana program in Canada ever since 2001. So, you know, having some experience in underwriting those types of policies and having exposure to them on the medicinal side really got me keen to learn a little bit about how, if and when this does become legal, what the implications would be for the, the, the insurance industry, right? And, you know, call it uh, beginner's luck or a perfect storm, but we've mobilized a uh, specialty MGA in Canada to really be prepared for that, right? So, you know, when legalization hit in October of 2018, uh, we were basically kind of the only game in town that had any capabilities for anything related to cannabis. As I mentioned before, a lot of the existing languages out there excluded anything to do with cannabis and controlled substances. So, you know, call it my foresight to see that, you know, this is eventually coming down the pipeline really helped out 
for our firm and our organization back then to be prepared for, for legalization. And, you know, I've mentioned it before and, and I'll say it again, insurance, the industry itself is very, very slow, very reactionary. And, you know, I think it's going to change a lot more in the next 10 years than it probably has changed in the last 100 years. And cannabis is a big part of that. You know, people and underwriting companies and insurance companies are thinking a little bit differently about, you know, where this new world is kind of taking us. So to answer your question about leveraging, I'm hoping to have the same success as far as perpetuating expertise, continuing education as far as uh, negotiating and being an advocate for the cannabis industry to the insurance market. In the very early days in Canada, I was presenting and basically winning over insurance markets to say, hey, this is definitely something that is a reality. It is a very good risk and it's something that we really need to be prepared for. And I was lucky enough to have a couple of insurance companies believe in that thought process and and really, quote unquote, take a gamble on providing capacity in the early days of cannabis. And I'm hoping to do the same in the U.S. Well, no, this is uh, it, it's great to have you on. And, and insurance is, is a topic that only sometimes only lawyers and, and insurance uh, professionals can appreciate. But like most commercial manufacturing or agricultural businesses, cannabis related businesses experience exposure to third party general liability and product liability, as, as well as first party property losses such as recall or theft. Um, and the potential for loss is greater, of course, in the cannabis industry because of perhaps mislabeled products, contaminated products, etc. You might look at it and say, well, this is, this is no different than any other product, but certainly it is, and it's, and it's, it's a lot more different than other products. Maybe you can comment on first party, third party, and the general and product liability issues. Yeah, it's really interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, one of the products that uh, we were really successful in developing was a product recall insurance, which the Canadian government in certain provincial jurisdictions made a mandatory purchase, right? Uh, I believe it's uh, catered towards the newness of it because it's emerging before our eyes and burgeoning and exploding at such a fast pace. It makes a lot of people really nervous. But to your point, I do feel that there's components of different industries that are making up this cannabis industry that yes, it is unique in its own right, but it does pull from something like big pharma and food and beverage and manufacturing and agricultural, but yet it's its own unique thing because we haven't witnessed something like this since the prohibition era when alcohol was becoming kind of more normalized and legalized. It's a very exciting times, but you know, bastardizing wordings and products from different industries is what, some of the insurance companies and some of the other insurance advisors out there were doing and are guilty of. And in essence, really, there needs to be something created uh, at the ground level for cannabis itself. The wordings from something in the healthcare industry uh, may be applicable to a certain extent in the cannabis industry, but it's not going to be tailor-made for that, right? So, you know, we here at Hub and myself, we pride ourselves on really being innovative and trying to figure out, you know, what's really needed for the industry itself and not just have a mixed solution from another industry, right? And, you know, the dangers are definitely out there because of the unknown, right? There's a lot of insurance companies out there that don't want to kind of be the first one to lead the charge or be stuck with the bag or the biggest claim. But yet they've also put up capacity for things like guns and ammunition and big pharma and other manufacturing risks, such as the auto industry. So there's a lot of learnings from the different industries that can help you in the cannabis industry. But there's definitely some 
learning curve there to understand how it works, what the cultivation process is, what are the risk exposures for the processing standpoint, you know, what is the difference between a retail dispensary to a medicinal dispensary to, let's say, a nursery or a micro-grow or a large cultivator. And, you know, we can go on and on about some of the business risks as well from the multi-state operators of the vertically integrated organizations as well. Um, so, you know, it's a great point where it is kind of pulling from all these different industries and even staffing issues are like that as well. There are CFOs and controllers and risk managers coming from all these different industries that are being kind of plopped in the cannabis industry and sinking or swimming, right? So there's definitely a lot of learning curve when it comes to that. But from a from an actual traditional risk perspective, it's not very different than some of the other very complex risks that are out there or operations that are out there. How much does it matter in that context that um, there are, in the United States, different state regulations? And of course, in Canada, you've got Health Canada and probably some varied regulations in the local jurisdictions that impose requirement for product recall plans, product testing, labeling, and the like. How important is it that those things exist from an insurance standpoint, or does the insurance industry, uh, through advocates such as yourself, sort of create a uniform or a baseline fundamental uh, expectation for those types of things? Well, you know, Canada is, is a little bit different because the large licensed producers have always been regulated by Health Canada. So that's at the federal level, right? And then each province is responsible for the distribution, the handling of the license, and the rules and regulations, therefore. So in, in the U.S., it's kind of going a little bit backwards, right, where the state is really in charge of handling the industry as far as, you know, who gets awarded the license, what those regulations are, zoning requirements, and, and all of the above, et cetera, et cetera. I'm a firm believer that there does need to be some kind of federal order around this just so that there is a little bit more quality control uh, you know, when it comes to the FDA, uh, we talk about edibles and other ways to ingest and, and consume cannabis. There's got to be some kind of way to get everything a little bit more organized, right? Like at this point right now in the U.S., there's no interstate commerce. So you would have to adhere to those state requirements where your facility is or where your sales are compared to, you know, other states where they might have a different set of rules or circumstances that you have to adhere to. You know, Jay, we uh, we saw that recently you published an article talking about the real estate challenges that cannabis businesses face. And uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, before his time practicing cannabis law, Mr. Hoban was an eminent domain lawyer. So I'd love to just take a few minutes to talk about some of those challenges that cannabis businesses face when securing real estate, whether they're zoning issues or the like. Uh, kind of pass that over to you and maybe Bob... Uh, you'll have a follow-up on that one since that's really your, more your terrain than mine, sure, I think. Sure. Yeah, sure. That's great. I mean, this has always been a topic of conversation, and you know, I felt that it was warranted to really get it out there and educate people on all the nuances and the differences, right? Because it can be kind of misconstrued in, in any sort of way, depending on your vantage point. Basically, the demand for cannabis production and real estate spaces is basically like a bomb or a Band-Aid uh, to a much needed and suffering real estate industry, especially during these troubling times that we're living through the pandemic. And, you know, we see the light at the end of the tunnel. But, you know, last year, year and a half, two years have been a very unique set of circumstances. 
but there are risks in having cannabis operations as a tenant, right? And not to mention uh, the need to upgrade the property to get it retrofitted as far as ducting, lighting, energy to handle a grow operation, but also the insurance implications as well, right? I mean, there are many, many insurance policies out there that are covering property, but as soon as there is any word of any kind of cannabis exposure, occupancy, then that coverage ceases to be null and void, right? So uh, you have to make sure that you're reading the fine print, uh, make sure uh, all your landlord agreements and all your insurance is square in a way before A, you you offer your space to a cannabis insurance, sorry, a cannabis tenant, or B, you're actually renting out a building and, and let's say you're responsible for, you know, all of the insurance requirements and let's say a triple net lease or something. So it's definitely a topic of, of area that we're discussing every day and educating some of our um, clients that are even not in the cannabis world as well, but let's say are interested in renting out their facility to a cannabis operation. The the risk of owning real estate, particularly in light in the United States of the fact that it is federally illegal has always been, you know, the threshold question that investors want to look at. But what we've always found too, from an investor perspective is that if the basis of the business proposition for the investment is built around real estate versus in the license holder or the cultivator or distributor of the cannabis products, that it seems to give people more comfort. Although, as you point out, it's not always clean and clear that there is uh, no liability there to that to that owner. Uh, and property insurance matters a lot, particularly when you have extraction facilities in certain places and you have, you know, heavy power and you have uh, lighting issues that, that increase uh, the heat production within facilities. And that, that all gives rise to, you know, at least a greater fire danger on paper. Absolutely. It changes the complete risk profile of it, right? You know, as far as you having a grow facility or even, you know, you mentioned the extraction process. There's a lot of volatile contaminants and solutions and, and ingredients that go into that process. And it, it completely changes the risk profile where you need firewall buildings and you need to have make sure that you have the expertise in order to operate that equipment. Extraction is nothing new. Uh, extraction is in other industries, but for cannabis, uh, it can be very volatile and definitely changes the risk profile from a property perspective and a liability perspective for that matter. Well, think about property insurance for just a moment. We've got a good friend, and I wrote about this recently in, in, in a Forbes column. We've got a good friend who's a doctor in Massachusetts, and her property was a clinic. It was There was no distribution of cannabis. She's a doctor that advises people on a variety of sub- subjects, but uh, not the least of which is the use of cannabis for, for a slew of conditions. And the Hartford was her insurer for the office space. And the Hartford sent a letter to her and says, your insurance is being terminated because uh, we've concluded that you advise people concerning cannabis, not used on site, not stored on site, not distributed on site, just a doctor's office. I can understand the just the outright, well, cannabis is illegal, so we're going to terminate the insurance. But is there anything more to that story that you would surmise? I know you don't know the specific facts necessarily, but what else could be going on in a situation like this? And can we expect more of that? So because, you know, it is federally illegal, and we'll go back to the beginning here, there are certain acts that are being put through legislation, such as the SAFE Act and the Claim Act. And that would actually allow people a safe harbor for cannabis-related monies or transactions. But until the SAFE Act and the Claims Act fall, 
insurance companies will still be very, very skeptical and very, very worried about deploying their capacity or being on risk in any form of cannabis, right? Whether it's physically there or not, even if it has a little bit of a connotation of cannabis, they're going to go away from it because they have reinsurance treaty exclusions when it comes to cannabis. They either have a dogma or a stigma around it, or their investor relations and their publicly traded interests, you know, their higher ups and their people that are in charge of the decision making just don't want to have nothing to do with it. And if we get to specific language without boring everybody with insurance terminology, there are certain bullet points that you really need to worry about in traditional insurance language where damage caused by commercial tenants caught growing may not be covered under a landlord's insurance policy. And then policyholders that engage with what is considered a dishonest or criminal act may find that it bars coverage for any loss or damage resulting from that activity. So it's not just the plant touching portion of it, but if you're involved in any way of cannabis, that could null and void your policy and really cause a lot of complications when it comes to putting up a claim for any damages caused. No, those are great thoughts. And and you did mention something uh, just lastly that we'll touch on, which is uh, those acts that are before Congress, the Safe Banking Act, the Claim Act. For the work that you do at Hub International, uh, how impactful would the passage of one of those bills be here in the near future? Oh, it'll be very impactful. I, I think along with the Farm Bill that was passed a few years back, this Safe Banking Act would probably be the biggest domino to fall in our journey for federal legalization in the states. Now, again, Canada, we're in about three, four years deep in legalization. Mexico just recently passed federal legalization as well. There's a whole slew of European countries that are also uh, entertaining the the federal legalization. And and I think that the the Canada, uh, sorry, the U.S. will follow suit eventually, whether that's two years, four years, eight years. You know, I wish I had a crystal ball to tell you guys, but, you know, legislation moving through Congress would provide banking and insurance protections for cannabis and cannabis-related businesses without the threat of federal penalties. So that will, you know, give the insurance companies in the banking sector comfort by servicing this industry. Now, I, you know, I don't want to really touch on this too much, but there's like bags of cash, and I'm talking about movie scene scenarios that are being transferred in unmarked vehicles and trucks just because, your local bank is not able to accept any cannabis-related monies, even though it's been deemed to be legal in the state. So it's quite a conundrum that we're living through right now. But these two acts and anything that is passing through legislation to help federal legalization or have some kind of, you know, ordinance to the cannabis industry would be welcoming. And I think that would create a lot more competition and allow insurance companies and banks to really play in this field and service this industry where it's much needed. It certainly is a conundrum, but as you say, those dominoes are falling, and this will be a fascinating sector to watch develop over the next few uh, months and years. And Jay, uh, your expertise in insurance, and specifically for cannabis businesses that are attaining insurance, is extremely valuable to the listeners of the Hoban Minute who may be dealing with these very same issues. So we thank you so much for your time today and look forward to catching up with you here as soon as we see future developments in the U.S. cannabis industry. Take care, my friend. Yeah, it's great. Thank you so much for the time and the great conversation. And just one thing I'd like to leave to all the listeners is really just make sure that you're partnering with the experts that know what they're talking about. Don't be misguided. Make sure that you know what you're buying and it's worth protecting your business because it's your hard-earned 
uh, dollars at stake and your business that you're passionate about. So you need to be leveling up and partnering with someone that is equally passionate and, and, and is knowledgeable in the space. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hoban Minute. Do you have any ideas for episode topics or guests? We would like to hear from you. Reach out to us at media at hoban.law and stay tuned for more on the Hoban Minute.